0: Snark production, Cheers. Market, the p the ISX stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag edition. Special, not only because it's Sunday, not only because we have mailbag questions to answer, but because we're joined by Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, cool. I'm what's making it special now. I'll take that. I didn't say very that good. Was... In air quotes or not, mate, that's the beauty of the audio medium. People can invent their own. Read into uh, it how you like. Exactly, they, whatever you choose. But, mate, thank you for rejoining us as you always do every Sunday. I always love chatting with you about stocks, investing, and all things finance, all things business. It's just a, a fascinating, fascinating thing. We've been doing this now between us for a very long time, individually for a very long time too, just quietly, and it never gets any less interesting, which is kind of cool. Um, I, I like the, I like the, you know, you kind of what to expect, you kind of how things are going to respond, uh, new companies, <laughs> new technologies, new stuff. Yeah. It's just really, really cool. There's never a dull, as I said on uh,
0: Friday, there's, there's really never a, a dull moment in this space. There's always something to talk about. And it goes so, so far beyond just balance sheets and share prices. I think as a good investor... You, you, the best investors I know tend to be very curious people who just like, yeah, like to that. understand how things work, how the world works, and that's sort of. It's sort of it's one of those fields that, you know, it's classified as finance, but it's just mm. like the, the the places it takes you are so
1: varied and different, and it's it's great. I love it. I'm relatively convinced that economics is more applied psychology than it is maths or science. Yeah. Oh yeah, mate. Um, I promised on Friday we wouldn't ask about AGL, and yet here I am because. Ah. Donald tweeted at us. Now, I'm going to, uh, if I have to, mute or uh, in some other way, uh, change what I let you say. But we were talking about it only in the context of a takeover. And Donald says, Hey, TMF Scott P and Sage underscore Simeon. They are our Twitter handles, of course. Question for the Motley Fool Money podcast. The Financial Times headline reads, Quote, Brookfield prepared to go hostile in $3.6 billion AGL takeover. End quote. What is a hostile takeover in the corporate finance world, asks Donald. Is there a friendly takeover? Can't we all just hashtag full on? Now, Donald, that is brilliant. You've, you've, you've done a wonderful job in 280 characters. Uh, love it, mate. Thank you very much for the question. Andrew, I'm going to – here's your challenge. You must do this without mentioning Mike Cannon Brooks, okay? <laughs> just because, just because we have more than one question to answer, and if I let you go, it could be an hour's worth. So <laughs> let's uh, let, let's let's give you that challenge. Um, let's even, well, feel free to talk about the company if you want, but let's try not to get back into the good or bad. Let's focus on Don's question, which I think is a really good one. Yeah, it's cool, hostile right? takeover. It's yeah. one of those. It has um, it brings out connotations of Wall Street, doesn't it? The movie it does. It's yeah. one of those kind of you know, hostile takeover. Gordon Gecko. And say, is there a friendly takeover? So let's let's delve into that a little bit. What is Andrew a hostile takeover?
0: A hostile takeover is one which doesn't have the support of the board. So, uh, and the board,
1: board of the acquired company or the target company of right?
0: the of the target company. So they are the our elected representatives as mm-hmm. shareholders. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they don't want it to happen and it happens anyway, that's a hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. And it can happen because uh, you, know, share, the, you know the 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 PTY LTD company is a very democratic structure. It, it mm-hmm. is it is um, restricted to to what the majority want. So if you own enough, share, so what will happen is you know often they'll buy as many shares as they can. They just have enough mm-hmm. of a voting block to force it through, no matter <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yep, there is that. Um, a friendly takeover is one which is just sort of like both parties agree that they want to participate in, in the transaction. Mm, mm. So I won't mention uh, AGL, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, just if, yeah, I just did. But if, <laughs> if, if a hypothetical uh, uh, energy company's board did not want it to go through, but <laughs> the, takeover, the the acquir- potential acquirers convinced enough shareholders <laughs> that it was a good idea or had enough of a voting block themselves, they could force it through
1: anyway despite the board's protestations, <laughs> and let's hope they do. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. So let's, let's break down a little. You, you've nailed it. Absolutely, of course. Um, you know your stuff. Let's break down just a little bit more than that, mate, only as much as uh, let, let's think about the mechanics of this. So I want to buy Page Incorporated. And so my first call is normally to come to you and say, hey, Andrew, you're, you're the director of Page Incorporated. It's an uh, $85 billion business mm-hmm. owned by a million shareholders. But you are you are the in this case the sole director representative of Page Incorporated, mm. and like I can say, mate, your shares have been trading for ten bucks a share. Uh, I want to buy your company for eleven dollars a share. What do you reckon? Mm. You, in theory, at that point, have to say to your shareholders, "Hey, we've got a takeover offer because you're supposed to, with continuous disclosure, disclose that stuff." And you would say either. I think this is a great idea. I recommend our, our, every every shareholder take take the money because turns out Page Incorporated is a shell company. Our only asset is a small uh, IBM computer from 15 years ago. It sits <laughs> in the corner of the office, mm. and for whatever reason, you people think it's worth 85 billion dollars. Take the money, mm. or you say, "Are you freaking kidding? This mm. thing is worth a squillion." I- this 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 how do you go around own straw man? The the business is going to be the biggest financial business in the world, in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in ten years time, this is going to be worth a hundred dollars a share. Why would I take eleven dollars a share if that's going to be worth a hundred dollars in ten years time? Mm. No, don't take the money. Yeah. And that's well, what that's, happens next is then the difference between friendly and hostile, right?
0: Exactly right. And and it you know it it depends on who has a better sense of value. Mm, Does mm, the board? Mm. Mm have very good reason to expect that the market is just completely underpricing this at the moment. The takeover bid mm-hmm. is mm. is really offensive and opportunistic. And if that is the case and they could realise more value over the long term, it is absolutely right to reject it. Absolutely. Mm. Um, there's been a number of takeovers that have occurred, which, is, I mean, in the benefit of hindsight, you kind of think, "Oh, geez, that that private equity company just just stole that off us for a bargain mm-hmm. basement mm-hmm. price." We've actually <laughs> we got a bunch of cash. Maybe it was a five, ten, fifteen percent mm-hmm. premium mm-hmm. on what the market price was, mm-hmm. but it didn't fairly value the stock. So that's that's really the lens that the the board and chairman should be should be making the decision because again, they are our representatives, yep. and they need to be making decisions in the best. Uh, interest of of shareholders now there are again i said i was a little bit cynical with with agl because you know, often often when you you we, we, as a as a board if you elect to accept this you're you're really saying i don't mm. want my job anymore and it's generally mm-hmm. pretty cushy well-paid jobs so <laughs> there is that um not, not to be hard, too mate. cynical but yeah that, that, that hopefully they're making a decision that is absolutely in the best interests of shareholders but yeah if 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 I think it's a bad idea Mm -hmm. and it goes, it's sort of, my hand is sort of forced and that's, that is hostile. That is, Mm -hmm. that is, and that's, that's how you define it.
1: To be fair too, mate, there's not a massive difference in terms of the next steps in the process between those two, right? Mm, um, yep. because So so in terms of the, the labels are kind of a nice a nice media labels. Now, in some circumstances, a friendly takeover, you might say, yep, we think that's a good idea and we'll give you access to our data room as they call it these days. We'll give you access to some numbers uh, just to make sure you want to pay the money. And so that can be, that you know, that that's part of a friendly to- takeover whereas hostile would say, absolutely not. There is no way in the world I'm taking $11 for my $10 shares. Get yep. stuffed. No, not We're not going to give you this. access to the books or the data right. room as you so call there are it. So there are some slight differences here mm. between how those things are done. There's no, the label doesn't mean anything itself. It's a descriptive label rather than a regulatory or a legal one that means anything in absolute sense. Mm. Uh, but generally speaking, that's it. A hostile takeover is the board doesn't want to be taken over uh, or the company be taken over, but the company's going to try and do it anyway by convincing mm. the shareholders to sell. Yep. Uh, Hostile takeovers, by the way, are normally harder because generally speaking, if a board says, yep, it's in the best interest of shareholders, we think it's a good deal, take the deal. More shelves are likely to accept it on that recommendation, so it's an easier path. Yep. That's why most companies do it, right? Otherwise, you just say, I'm "Not going to talk to the directors." I'll just announce on market, "I want to take over a company and let it happen." Most go to the directors first, say, "Hey, we'd like to do this. Do you guys think it's worth doing? If so, please give it your blessing and tell your shareholders that it's worth accepting, because it makes it easier for everybody." Here's the here's the interesting question, mate. Not, we won't do too long on this, but the difficult thing I think for for directors and for for uh, during takeovers is. What is their absolute job? Is it to maximize the value today or maximize the value in five years' time or 10 years' time or 20 years' time? Because if, let, let, let's shoot let's a big if a company is trying to get $10 a share and someone comes and says, I'll give you $15 a share for it, on one hand, you've got a company where uh, the market is saying this is only worth 10 bucks. And someone is going to give you a 50% premium on that mm. now, today, right now. They can, they can create a 50% instant gain by taking the money. Or they can try and convince the market through better communication, better performance, changes in sentiment and lifestyle, that this might be worth $25 in five years' time. There's two very different things here where there is more value in theory, assuming the directors are right about the long-term value on offer. What should they do? I mean, if, you, if their job is to, in, to be our representatives, 50% right now for nothing – There's a whole lot of investors who are like hands straight up. And this is the problem that shareholder base is not one group, right? Mm. So you say, I'll take the 50% now. Of course I will. Bloody oath. Jeez, 50% Mm. now? Like right now? Of course I'll take it. Mm. Someone else says, no, no, actually I want the 150% over five years, please. Mm. Now, those numbers can change. So don't don't get stuck on the numbers. But, you know, in the same circumstance, two shareholders, let alone two directors, have a really difficult – there is no absolute answer here, right? If, if, you know – What's a good example. Wooly shares at 20 bucks. If they fell to $20 because the market got annoyed, they're probably obviously undervalued. Taking $22 for a takeover at that point would, I would say, be selling out too cheaply. On the flip side, shareholders might say, I've spent, you know, the, the share price has slid for 18 straight months from 40 to 20. Man, this is brutal. If someone give me $22 now, after all this I've gone through, yeah, I'll take the money. Please accept the deal. Mm. Two very different shareholders, very different perspectives, very different preferences. How does a board of directors square that circle? It's like uh, political leadership, or leadership at any level, really. And <laughs> okay. let's not, not get into it's politics. Too it's too early in the in the mailbag episode, mate. To get there,
0: but it's but it's the same point. I mean, your your job is to mm. lay out the vision and articulate the strategy, and you have got to sell the narrative. If you are right that the business would uh, shareholders would be better off in uh, under the current structure and, and uh, management team, mm. it's your it's your it's your it's your job, A, to be honest and, and, and reasonable in that assumption. And if that is yep. the case, then to articulate that. That's, mm. that's, 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 that's the job. Mm. If you can't do that, then maybe mm. it's actually a, a, a better thing. So I, I look—you can't—you you can only lay out the case, and then shareholders will vote right, however, however they vote. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: So I get it. I get it. It's a tough. It's a tough thing, but yeah. But you know, that—that's what they've got to do, and and that's again without getting back into, it, I think that's where AGL is <laughs> going to struggle. They, ah, uh, no, 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 no. Well, but as as an example, <laughs> as an example, I don't think they've they've laid out their plan. You know, they're going to split up the business, and you know, move some things uh-huh. around in different places and different buckets. And that's going to magically, mm-hmm. you know, forgive for you know the last <laughs> ten years of terrible management. But, um, but, but that's what you've got to do. And I, I would not help I, myself. I, I couldn't help myself. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what you've got to do. And, and, and then, and then you've got to let the chips land where they may. But uh, you, you've got to, you've got to sell the vision. And if if you can't do that, or if your vision is flawed from from the outset, mm. well, you know, again, are you are you serving shareholders' interests? I'd,
1: I'd say no. As a director, what do you do? Do you take if you if you had a ten dollars share and you're a director? Someone offered you fifteen dollars now, and you thought it would be worth twenty five dollars in five years time. Yeah. Do you recommend they take the deal or not?
0: No. I would so so so. There's two parts to that. So hmm. you say it's ten now, but I think it's twenty five. So first, hmm. my first step is to actually hand on heart, hmm. look myself in the mirror, and say, "Is this a reasonable? Is this a reasonable hmm. assumption? Hmm. You know, not is it, remove the ego and yeah. the, all the rest of it." <laughs> If I if I genuinely believe so, um, Altium rejected a takeover bid, mm, right? Mm, mm. And the CEO owns a bunch of shares. The founder, you know, and he just said no. It was a higher price, but I think it's I think it's worth uh, more. If so, so then so the first part of it is if I am correct in that, my next step is then to actually clearly lay that out for investors and just hope that mm, they they mm. see my my point of view. If I make a good if I've got a good case and I make a good case. I'd like to think that the majority of shareholders would would share in that vision and, and back back that judgment. If I can't or if I don't have a good case, then then it's it's probably
1: better taking. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it, maybe that's I, the bit I, for me. That's the bit for you. 100 percent guaranteed fifteen dollars right now. Yeah. Or the possibility that in X years' time, with all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, economies and competition and suppliers and customers and mm. partners and execution risk and all that stuff, mm. that's the bit for me. It's like you know. I don't know. It's one thing to say I would buy the shares myself. I guess as a director, you've got this fiduciary responsibility, right, for the shareholders. So it's not Mm. even like I've got a really really strong risk tolerance. I've got a portfolio of ideas. Mm. I I think it's probably worth $25, so I'm happy to buy the shares and run the risk. Mm. Then someone says to you, well, on behalf of every other shareholder in the company, Including widows and orphans, and uh, you know, and, and risk-taking investors, everyone in between. Mm. Are you really going to jeopardize my fifteen dollars I the hope that you might get to twenty-five? Well, and, and by the way, over that period of time. The market goes up, so there's opportunity cost of, of not having the money somewhere else. Mm. That's where you know, I don't have—I don't have an answer either, mate. I, I'm, I'm asking you because I just don't want to answer it. That's yeah. too hard. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, I, I absolutely get why some directors are like "bird in the hand, bird in the hand, baby." I,
0: I, I, I do too. I, although I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole Charlie Munger invert or always invert. Yes, yeah. and inverting this scenario, the, the other question would be: mm, mm. Well, the acquirer thinks that this thing is worth mm. well. Let me rephrase it. The acquirer is happy to pay a fifty percent premium to the market price, and presumably they're looking to get a bargain. If they mm-hmm. if they thought mm-hmm. this thing was perfectly worth fifteen dollars, it's a pretty, it's just by definition going to be a pretty average return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so clearly they see something in yep. they see incredible value, so much value that they're prepared to pay fifty percent over odds right. and still get a bargain. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, so I, I guess I do that whenever I buy or sell. It's just like, well, someone else is on the other side of the table. Mm. <laughs> they obviously, I want to get rid of this yeah, thing, and they right. want to buy it, or vice yep. You know, they want yep. to buy it, and I want to sell it. What, what, are, what am, what's their mm. perspective on, mm. on on that as well? So it just, mm. it is a bit of a signal that, and again, these big takeovers, generally speaking, of are, are from. You know, people who it's not their first rodeo. They've done a whole bunch of due diligence. They know the industry. Mm. They've got a very clear. Or they might be wrong, of course. Of course, they might be wrong. But they've got a very clear vision that this thing is 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 cheap at that price as well. Um, so that that tells you something as a share. I was like, well, okay, if they're prepared to pay more than that, maybe there is. Maybe this thing is worth more That's, than the, yeah, exactly. than the current price. You know, exactly.
1: or you're getting as uh, Kerry Packer said, you only get one Allen Bond in a lifetime. Uh, Bondi paid a screen dollars for Channel 9 and Packer bought it back from him a few years later at, yes. at a bargain basement price. Sometimes the money is simply too good to refuse. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Let's um, let's go to another question, mate. This one comes from Patrick. Patrick says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. Thanks so much for your comments via the podcast. Always fun and insightful. Another crypto que- oh, question. Yeah. Sorry, Scott. But hey, if, at least if the answer is unsatisfactory, then you may feel better. There we go. I like that. <laughs> Andrew mentioned he likes Bitcoin and Ethereum, I believe due to the network effects. Is it too early though? To discount other coins such as Solana, which have much better functionality in some things, given he's holding out for the long term. In other words, is it too easy to say that Bitcoin and Ethereum are the winners to back? Thanks, mm. Patrick. Mm. I like this question. I would say, for what it's worth, that um, you know you can not everything else has to be a loser to choose some winners. Mm. So uh, you know when you're buying shares, when I buy shares, I'm absolutely aware that very many other companies will do well. Maybe even do better than the ones I bought. Hmm. So you don't have to say I'm buying the only winners when I buy the you know the, the only I've got twenty something twenty five companies in my portfolio. They're not the only twenty five companies that'll win, by the way. So I'm not I'm not saying everything else must lose money by death. You're, you're almost guaranteed to not hold if you look right. back in ten years. What's
0: the best performing? Investment? Yeah, it it's not the one I own. You, yeah. It's not the one you. No, I'm not saying more. it to you, but it wouldn't be. No, me exactly right. Yeah, <laughs>
1: everyone. Exactly, exactly. So that being said, so I, I will I will on Andrew's behalf just make that point, Patrick. But he asked the question of you, mate, not me. Is it time to look at some other coins as well? Is it is it absolutely just a Bitcoin Ethereum race at this point? What do no, you no, how are you feel no. about the other coins?
0: No, I'm not a maximalist, and, I, and 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 again, I always have to preface this kind of stuff because it is so people have such strong opinions, and I just don't know is mm. is the answer. I feel as though uh, the dynamics of these things are the same as dynamics that you see in a lot of uh, uh, technologies companies mm. elsewhere, where it's there is there is a very big advantage in having the most people running your nodes it makes it secure it makes it more faster it makes it more accepted it's got all of these these reinforcing feedback loops mm. that just give them a really they gives them an advantage does that mean does that mean they're the guaranteed winners no uh, absolutely not can others come up and usurp them yes they do i think where some people go wrong here is especially the the people who are really into the weeds on the technology will say ah oh, mm-hmm. but this this particular blockchain has this advantage and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, yeah, that's true. Mm. But the best example here is Betamax and VHS. You know, the former was a better technology. (laughs) It lost. (laughs) And and there are lots of examples of that. And the reason was is that the adoption curve Mm. went so far towards this first one that it just became (laughs) irrelevant. And and I, you know, so am I here to argue that these are the best sort of um, versions of this technology? Probably not. But do they have a better than even chance of being the eventual winners by virtue Mm. of how far along they are on that adoption curve? I think they have a very significant advantage. So- um, I would say one one of the one of the ways to potentially play this, and for me, it's a very like it's, it's a small part of my overall portfolio. So even <laughs> if it all go, and I'm very prepared, and, and you know for it to go to zero, mm-hmm. it could it could easily happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I'm not not everything is is 100% laser eyes, all all in on on this kind of stuff. <laughs> Thank but God. I mean, yeah, but definitely. you could you could you could say, yeah, that's a, that, I, I'm actually not sure, and and maybe you mm-hmm. maybe you spread spread your risk around, and you you mm-hmm. expand it all, all out, knowing that you just have to catch the one eventual the couple of winners to 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 do very very well yeah. i would say this i would say that 95 probably 99% of of coins in this space are going to zero because they are yeah. just you don't the, the the way these things work is you just don't need <laughs> that many. Other, we we need a standard, whether that's sort of chosen by some central body or it's just the way that it evolves. And in this case, it mm-hmm. will, will be the way it evolves. It's it's very likely for people to centre around the one with the, with the most critical mass. So that that's mm-hmm. my thesis mm-hmm. on that. But please don't you know email me in five years time and go ah ha ha you know I I I knew it. It's like it could it could be that Solana is is the better one to back. And mm-hmm. and if that's if that's your view. You know, put put it back. You know, put a little bit each way. <laughs> um, you'll know exactly what you should have done, but at least you've got at least you've got a <laughs> foot in the, each pool, I suppose, if, if that's your view. Mm, mm. Yeah, but I I, I I tend to think that uh, that those two are the the best, highest chance of success. If if indeed this space
1: does become meaningful, I like it. Mate. I like it. Um, yeah, I think that's the that's the point, right? Doesn't, doesn't just because some are more likely doesn't mean the others can't possibly be successful. And I think that's mm. it's a it's a, a shame, mate. Speaking of which, another question on Bitcoin. Can then we get it over and done with, and I can move on to <laughs> proper things, real real conversations instead of made up stuff. Um, I, saw, I saw a great NFT tweet on the weekend, by the way. I will have to share that with you separately. Um, uh, if you if you want to have a look, follow me on TMF Scott P. You can have a look at the. Oh, I might have been it in a second. I'll see how we go. All right, uh, question from Roger. Now Roger's a bit disappointed, Andrew. I think in you. I think in you, not not assuming me. Wouldn't be the first person. I'm I'm kidding, mate. It's actually me. He's he's lumped you with me, which I'm happy with, but uh, you won't be. Hi, guys, says Roger. I'm a bit disappointed by your fuddy-duddy attitude towards Bitcoin and other digital assets. Sure, they're speculative, but I'm sure you've both speculated on small company shares that were at least or more dangerous. Surely you agree that blockchain technologies and distributed ledgers are not going away and that digital assets will remain part of the economic ecosystem into the future. Can't digital assets be part of a well-diversified portfolio even if they make up only 1% of that portfolio? You need to justify your apparent dismissals of this emerging asset class, says Roger. Probably not in a tone as aggressive as I'm doing, but it's more fun this way. (laughs) Do you simply not understand the technology? What is wrong with you, Andrew? Are you at no? I'm on Roger's side. I'm nodding
0: here. I agree, Roger, 100%. is the
1: risk of a Kodak slash Blockbuster moment if an investor ignores digital asset investment? Cheers, Roger. Yeah, well, this is on you, my friend. <laughs> oh, you said both of you. It's your fault. No, I'm <laughs> All right, Roger, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to take this on. I'm going to go through line by line. Uh, firstly, sure, they are speculative. Yes, but I'm sure you both speculated on small company shares that were least or more dangerous. No. So I'm going to separate a line between speculation and investment, okay? And this mm. is to the heart of actually why I don't recommend our listeners, our members buy Bitcoin. By the way, a CEO does. <laughs> and I'm lucky to work for a business that he lets me say something opposite of what he thinks because that just works for me. So uh, speculating a small company, if you are buying speculative miners, sure. Put them in the same class, asset class as Bitcoin. Knock yourself out. Buy a text with no revenue? Yeah, absolutely. Same as Bitcoin. Completely agree with you. Have I done that? No, never. Have I bought small companies and have lost money? Yes. But I've done it based on, a, on an analysis of their future likely sales and profit which gives me an ability to work out a reasonable price for those company shares. Even if I'm wrong, I'm looking at the productive value of the asset, in this case, the share, the company, and saying, I think, we we know to talk about Good Drinks Australia and the old gauge roads, right? That's mm-hmm. been a stinker of investment for me. Mm-hmm. But my belief was that they could maintain and grow their volume, which was wrong. Turned out, Woolworths pulled most of their volume and they've been just desperately trying to fill the hole ever since. Mm-hmm. But I, had a, I took a view that, it wasn't speculative in the same way for exactly that reason. Bitcoin has no productive output. It doesn't mean it's terrible. It doesn't mean it has to go badly. It just means you can't value it as an investment in my view. So that's the first thing. Second thing. Surely you agree blockchain technology and distributed ledgers are not going away. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they will. I think they are a smart thing. I'm not entirely sure what problems they solve in, in broader uh, life ASX apparently is looking to blockchain to replace chess, but chess works pretty well. Um, land titles office is looking to use blockchain. Uh, land titles office works pretty well. Maybe it maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I get it's cool. I really like it. Does it necessarily need to be part of a solution? Not sure. Uh, will digital assets remain part of the ecosystem into the future? Maybe. I don't know. There's no way to know that, right? So what I would suggest, Roger and to others, is if you believe they absolutely will, your your view is as much a a, a faith-based view as mine uh, because you're saying, of course they will, because, um, well, I just think they will. That's fine. You're entitled to that view. I don't see any absolute need for that to be true. So it may or may not. And again, this is a bit like we talked about with the last question, Andrew. Mm. I'm not saying this is necessarily going to zero, right? I'm literally, hey, this is interesting, but I'm not going to buy it because I'm not sufficiently convinced rather than I think it's terrible. Mm. Can't digital assets be part of a well-diversified portfolio even if they make up only 1% of that portfolio? So I'm going to say yes, but uh, can they be? Yes. Do they have to be? So here's the thing. I think humans take a view that you present something and say, here's this, this is Bitcoin. Surely a bit of it can be good for your portfolio, right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, shouldn't uh, an uh, a antique camera collection be part of a well-diversified portfolio? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. What about uh, rare my Pines? I guess, I mean, that could yeah, that could work. Uh, what about Rembrandt? Mm, let's do that. Okay, what about Beanie Babies? Sure. Football cards? No worries, yeah. There's. Every time you look at an asset, you can make an argument, well, maybe they could possibly do well and if you think about it, maybe they could be part of a... And all of a sudden, you own every asset possible, every investment possible because maybe possibly you can justify owning a part of it. So could you put 1% in Bitcoin? Sure. Could you put 1% in antique cameras? Sure. Is it the most um, risk based, uh, sensible way to invest 1% of in your portfolio? I'm not sure. Andrew has a different view. You need to justify your apparent dismissals of this emerging asset class. Roger, I have never, ever, ever dismissed the emerging asset class. And this is the thing. Once once we have true believers, they see everyone who is not a true believer as someone who is a, 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 uh, a blasphemer who's dismissing the asset class. I don't dismiss it at all. I own 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin, as you guys well and truly know. I think it's more than that now, but famously, I still can't sell. Um, don't. At me, I know I can sell if I change wallets, but I just I just can't be bothered. Um, am I specific? No, absolutely not. Do I think it's a smart asset to add to a portfolio? I don't think so right now. Can it doesn't mean it can't do well, but could a specky lithium miner do well? I guess so. Does it mean I should buy it? No, because I don't see sufficient probability of success. Hmm. Do you simply don't understand the technology? No, I understand the technology reasonably well. Not perfectly? Absolutely not. But again, do I understand the technology of, you know, uh, lithium-sulfur batteries? No. Nope. <laughs> Not well enough. What is the risk of a Kodak blockbuster moment if an investor ignores digital asset investment? Uh, moderate. Same as the risk of the lithium miner going to the moon. Same as the, everything, if you're only saying, you know, I should buy this just in case it possibly goes up, then you're in a lot of ticket territory. Why did I buy a lot of ticket just in case it goes up? Why don't a lot of tickets become 1% of a well-diversified portfolio in case you win the $120 million Powerball? Uh, again, right, I'm, I'm being a little bit funny and a little bit you know, trite. Um, I, there's always, every, everything I say no to as an, as an investment could possibly go up tenfold in value, right? Andrew bought ProMedicus. I was at that table when he bought those shares and I did not do it. What was the risk of me not doing that? It turns out a very, very large amount of money. So it's always possible. You can't buy everything that possibly you could buy just in case it goes up. None of this is saying Bitcoin is going to go terribly, but what I am saying is, if you're saying, why not just buy Bitcoin in case, you have to apply that, if you're being fair, to every single possible investment I haven't made and could possibly otherwise make. And then on an opportunity cost basis, on a, I've got a finite amount of money basis, how much money should I put into antique cameras? How much money should I put into rare plants or uh, paintings or fine wine or whiskey barrels or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Now, you're probably saying, Roger, right now, well, Bitcoin's better than that because... My argument is we can't know. In 10 years' time, maybe Bitcoin is 10 times the price. In 10 years' time, maybe Bitcoin is 1% of the price. Maybe it's somewhere in between. There is no investment basis to make that assessment. So it is speculation in my view. And I say that respectfully because Andrew has some. You sound like you probably have some, Roger. I have 100 bucks worth, as I said. Um, but it's simply that case of I have, I have a, a preference to invest my money in assets that have some sort of productive output and for which I can have a more reasonable, evidence-based view of what the future might look like. I'm just not—I'm not a swing for the fences on any possible specy chance investor. I'm just—that's not my thing. I've never owned a speculative miner. I've never owned a miner until I bought some Fortescue three or four months ago. Actually, that's not true. Back in the way, dim dark days, I was convinced by a mate to try and trade Mount Isa Mining (MIM). Back it was very, very starting investing, but that doesn't count. So yeah, that's my—that's my answer, mate. I—I'm I, not telling you you can't make money on Bitcoin at all. What mm. I'm saying is, if you ask me. Should I put my investable capital behind behind something with no reasonable basis for assessing future value? With confidence, and that's important, with confidence. Mm. Can I know what will happen? No, absolutely no idea. Am I confident Woolies will sell more groceries in 10 years' time? Absolutely. Mm. Was I confident Good Drinks Australia would too? Yes, and I was wrong. Uh, lots of other investments I have in my portfolio, I think they're going to make more money and be worth more in future. That's the basis for my investment. I can't say that about cryptocurrencies. Mm. How's that, Ram? Yeah, point well
0: made. Um, and that's, but. I mean, uh, no, there's no bite because there's no, everyone's different. There's there's lots and lots of different Excuse ways me. to make money. There's lots of strategies, lots of approaches, lots of mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. asset classes, lots of different individual opportunities within those asset classes. So it's, it's a very it's a very good point. You've got Sorry. to, you've ultimately, at the end of the day, you've got to make a judgment mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. And your judgment is is that I I find it too hard, too speculative. And so on that basis, yeah. you're 100% right. For you, yep. for you, you're 100% right. And and I would say, for uh, probably putting words in Roger's mouth here, but Roger's yeah. probably got more confidence on the future yeah. of that. Yep. And if he does, then I back it. I'm, and I'm I'm in that camp too. I I feel mm. as though while I acknowledge it's it's very hyper volatile and it's <laughs> certainly got lots of risks and mm. one of the more speculative assets that I own. I still would argue I'm not doing it just because, just in case. I'm doing Mm -hmm. it because Mm -hmm. underneath it all I actually have a bit of a view that this is uh, a really new and interesting technology that actually has – a lot and, and why, rapidly increasing use cases that will be much bigger and more valuable in the future. So that's my view. Now, as, uh, as yeah. with you and good good drinks, I could be totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so yeah I, I, so the, I would agree with what you're saying. I just tease it apart a little bit and sort of say, mm-hmm. if your only purpose is just in case, then that's not good enough. Yeah. But if if you add to that, well, actually, no, I've, I've got a degree of conviction mm. that is commensurate with the risk, then that's that's a different story. And and I, I guess part of the thing that swings me more that way is is that there's no point making a, a, a bet on something that is hyper risk hyper risky that if I get it right I double my money and if <laughs> yeah. I, if I get it wrong I lose a lot that's that's yeah, a dumb bet yeah. yeah if I make a a a, a, a investment mm-hmm. bet is the term I'm using <laughs> and um yes it's it's risky but mm-hmm. if I'm right I make a hundred x and if I'm yep. wrong I lose it that that don't that Changes the maths a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know if anyone's done any uh, probability uh, uh, work and stuff. You've, you've got this thing called expected value, mm-hmm. which is just yes. like yeah. the, the 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 upside times the probability of that upside, yeah. and and that's it's a it's really hard to do verbally. So I'm probably it gonna really try is and pull away from <laughs> yeah, from trying yeah.
1: to do this on a podcast. But I think that's oh, so you might have 100 percent chance of making 100. dollars or a 10% chance of making a million dollars. Yes. So you multiply those two together. 100% times 100 is 100. Yep. 10% of a million is 100,000. Yep. So the expected outcome of one, even though the, the odds are lower, the yes. payoff is enormous. Yep. The other, the odds are almost perfect in this case, just because I chose the example, but the return is really, it's like cashing in the bank, right? Yep. You're absolutely all but guaranteed as far as you can do it mm. for getting your interest paid and your capital being safe in the bank because it's government guarantee and the banks are pretty strong. Yep. So you're going to get your 0.1% interest on your $100 deposit in the bank. You can you can take that to the bank. Yep. You buy a lot of ticket, you've got a 0 point as many zeros you can think of, 1% chance of winning 120 million dollars in Powerball. Mm. Yeah, so
0: so that that is that is the that is the calculus. So a, a casino will open up as many roulette mm-hmm. wheels as they can get people to sit down at them. <laughs> yeah, right. Now that when when you spin yes. when you lay your yes, chips yes. and they spin that little ball around, they have no mm-hmm. idea that maybe you whatever the odds that one and you get a thirty two time return if it if it lands mm-hmm. on your number mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't care because they've Mm. they've done the maths that's right (laughs) and the expected value is very much in their favor and whenever the expected value is in your favor it's Mm. just a question of time you'll play that it's it's just it's playing with a loaded it's flipping a loaded coin Mm. and so what you need to do is have a reasonably a reasonable degree of confidence that your assumptions in terms of the upside and the probabilities are right Mm. but if that Mm. if that maths works out play that game all day long and and i and I, I suspect, Roger, probably on that side of things where we think the upside value is significant enough, uh, e- even, though the, even though the odds of success are much lower than it might be for Woolies, mm-hmm. um, that that maths works out well. So well, I, we're really agreeing. It's, and, and I'll come back yep. to my original yep. point. It's it, yep. it's a personal view. Don't buy bloody crypto or that just because the price is going up at this point in time <laughs> yeah, or, right. you know, it's the vibe and it's all yep. sexy and that. But if you've got a, a, a really – well – a reasonably rational view on on it then and you feel as though the upside justifies the risk then then that's a very different thing. and yeah I'm I'm in that camp.
1: <laughs> I am by contrast a fuddy duddy. Motley full money For more subscribe to the free newsletter at full.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go to a question from Andrew. Not Andrew Page, I am assured, but Andrew. Uh, G'day, Scott and Ram. One for the mailbag, if you don't mind. We don't at all. You answered a question of mine a few months ago regarding whether or not it was better to have my savings in the bank or an ETF. You provide a lot of clarity around the different timeframe considerations, so thank you. My next question has to do with dollar cost averaging and the most effective way to go about it. I've got a core set of ETFs that I want to make the base of my portfolio and then buy individual companies around them. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Currently, my strategy is to put 100 bucks a week into my broker account, and buy the ETFs in alternating months twice a year, and the other six months by individual companies. So, and you give us an example. So, we've got three ETFs. He's going to buy effectively each one twice a year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, the first one in February and August, second one in April and October, blah, blah, blah. The other companies every month. So, buying every single month, buying an e- one of three ETFs every second month, and companies in the off months. Mm-hmm. Is this the most effective way? Should I be buying them more frequently to realise the full benefits of dollar cost averaging? No personal advice, I know, but if it were you or your family, how would you structure this type of strategy? Thanks, Legends, and Fool on. And that's from Andrew.
0: Yeah, great question. I I think the way Andrew's going about it is perfectly sensible. I I can't Mm -hmm. fault it. Um, the, the, The... so let me think this through. So mm-hmm. if you're in a scenario where you've got X dollars of savings, Y dollars in income, mm-hmm. Z dollars in costs, you know, yep. and what you've got or you say because you're, this is money that you don't reasonably need over the next few years, it's all there, and then well, you don't have much choice. It's whatever I can save. The difference between Y and Z, yeah. <laughs> that that whatever I get, I'm just going to put into the market as as soon as I can. So that mm-hmm. that's that's a very straightforward thing, and I think the way that Andrew's going about it makes makes a great deal of sense. Mm. Where we've talked, we've got into this territory before. Where it's a bit more hard is if you've got a lump sum to invest right now. <laughs> do you know, do you chuck it all yeah. in right yeah. now, or do you yeah. dribble it in? And yeah. you know, there's there's different pros and cons of mm-hmm. that. But in the in this scenario, I suspect this is where Andrew is at. In the scenario where it's just you're just trying to sort of match your savings rate with the available opportunity set and you're just you're I love, I love, I love how there's a timetable mm. around it because it just it removes the emotional side of it. It just yeah, it too, makes right. it mechanical. So that's what yeah. I re- whatever. Yeah. Look, we we could argue the toss as to whether it should be every three months instead of every two, mm-hmm. and maybe at this, you know, you go round and round in circles. But the fu- the point is, yeah. is, is that as you're saving it, you're investing it. Sometimes yeah. it'll be great times to invest, others less so. But it's just a really, really smart strategy. And I've, I've got, I've got nothing. I don't, I don't think you want to overthink it too much. Though. I agree. Yeah. Um, the fact that you're just doing that. There's twelve different, hundred different flavors of exactly how you do that, but you're doing it, and that's the main thing. The rest, the rest is just fiddling at the at the margin.
1: Yep, I agree. Um, I would make a hundred bucks a week investing once a month, that's 400 bucks. Depending on what brokerage you're paying, that can get a little expensive. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm not entirely sure and everyone's different. I'm not entirely sure I actually wouldn't roll that back and build. It's tempting to want to make 12 transactions a year because you start to build your portfolio, get diversification super quickly and easily. If that's important to you because you don't want volatility, then go for it and just cop the extra brokerage. If you have... I hope you have a five-plus year horizon. In which case, you're going to make. You've got 60 months worth of investments. You don't need to make 60 different trades. Even with dollar cost averaging, I think I'd halve the frequency. I think I would probably, because you're buying three ETFs anyway. Um, I would probably buy them every two months. Uh, now, after one year, that means you've got three ETFs and three companies rather than you know three ETFs twice and six companies. But I think if brokerage is an issue, I would do it that way. That's just that's it. But otherwise, mate, I think you've nailed it completely.
0: Yeah, so that's the point, right? So if you're paying 50 bucks a trade like in the bad old yeah. days yeah. and you're doing it $100 into the market, you just lose half yeah. of your capital straight away. So that, yeah. in that instance, you really want to sort of save up a couple of grand before you pull the trigger just because costfully, yeah. Yeah, really good point, really good point.
1: Like it. Let's go to one for, another one for Patrick. Uh, I just got Andrew. Thanks for your podcast over the holiday period. They helped keep me sane during Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I'm still loving the podcast and realise over the course of 2021, One of the reasons for this is the banter and the slightly different views you take on investing, sometimes. Now to my question: Could you elaborate on the composition of the S&P 500? We probably apply this to the ASX 200 too, mate. Mm. I understand it's not technically a passive ETF, but it's commonly followed, and there's a rough criteria to be part of it. Mm. But I don't really understand why it's got the clout that it does when it's not a passive ETF. I.e., is the criteria particularly sound? For the record, I used to hold IVV, which is an S&P 500 index tracker, and I do like the composition of the shares. But I don't, for example, understand why Shopify is not on it. Thanks, Patrick. Mm. This is a. Uh, you know what I love about this? I love that ETFs are so prevalent now. People are asking about why the index makes sense. Run the other way around, which is yeah. which is kind of a cool a cool position to find ourselves in. Well, Do it's, it's the right
0: it's the right question, right? It's good enough because you can't just say, "Oh, it's an index, therefore it's good." Well, so, well yep. what index yep. is it? What yes. are the selection Correct. criteria? It's, it's a private company, why a I like, Standard yep. and pause yep. that d- yep. decide the rules, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to agree that that makes makes sense. So generally speaking, there's is two main considerations. So one is the market capitalization, the size mm-hmm. of the business. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the liquidity of the business. So there Which are example. Uh, sorry, uh, how many shares are traded each day? Mm-hmm. So there are there are some examples of companies that are very very large, but they're not in the index because there's not enough volume to get through. Mm-hmm. They want they want to ensure that there's enough liquidity, enough volume, so that all the various market participants can can move in and out without without influencing prices too much. Mm-hmm. I think SoulPats might be in this category, is it, mate? In the sense it was I for think, a while, it was outside yeah. one of the major. huge SoulPats is you a know, billion dollar plus company, yep. you know, it's a huge company. Yep. But it's it, it, because of the shareholder structure, it doesn't have a lot of what they call float, a lot of shares. I think that even are Berkshire
1: was excluded because it was so high per share price. Yes. There weren't that many shares traded. Because if you've got a $300,000 share price, you're only buying one at a time, right? Or if you're yeah. like you, you buy 10 at a time, but the rest was only by one at a time. Uh, and, and so, you know, you have 10 trading a day, which was, you know, large amount of money, but bugger all literal volume. And it, it, as you say, if people try to follow it, too hard to chase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, so on straw man, we've got this thing called the straw man index. You know, mm. I invented the rules for it. <laughs>
1: <Is> it <laughs> are these the best
0: rules? I don't know. It's worked out pretty well so far, but you know, nice. it, it may or may not charge. What, what, what a lot of these index funds will point to and probably mm. rightly so is they'll sort of say, look, there is some arbitrariness mm. to, to, to these criteria but we do have decades of history of applying this, and it's mm. it tends to have proven itself to be a reasonably good strategy. So I, that, that's that's probably that's and it's really just sort of saying what's going to give me the exposure to the biggest companies, most liquid mm. companies in the market, and you know that we've said yep. before there are equal weight indices out there. There are mm. currency hedged indices out there. There are indices like the ASX Small Cap, which sort of takes mm. the top three hundred, but then kicks out the top one hundred, so it's focusing more on the smaller side. Or a million different ways of doing it. So yeah. I, I think it's I think it's worth thinking about. You've made the very excellent point that when it comes to the Australian indices. Is that you're actually buying something which, soon to be with BHP delisting from the London exchanges, is, is mm, something mm-hmm. like it'll be 50 percent the big miners and the big banks. Yeah, and that's a big consideration, right? So it's sort of like yeah, it's a diversified index, but not as diversified as you might think. So yeah, Patrick's right to, to, to ask that question, and you've got to have a view on 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 that selection criteria and those constituents, yeah. um, but. I, you know, at the same time, I would say historically, it's it's proven itself to be a re- like. Are there better approaches? Probably, um, mm. but has this proven itself to be a pretty decent one?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think um, there, there there only used to be the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which was thirty companies hand picked by a group to roughly represent the cons- the, the makeup of the overall index. Because it was just too hard to track otherwise. It was just really hard to actually work out what on earth was going on across the entire market. I went, let's pick these three companies, these thirty companies, sorry. They're roughly representative. And so whatever they do, we'll do. And then when computerization came along, you could say, oh, let's make it bigger than that. And so the Senator pause, as Ram says, the the, the uh, business decided to pick up um, 500. And so these are the 500 that represent the American stock market. And the more you have, generally speaking, the like more likely it is to cover the market there are those considerations for inclusion. Why do they matter more than an ETF Well, I mean the, the passive ETF to Rams point has to roll an index itself. So you can't have a uh, you can't have an ETF without you can't have an index tracking ETF without the index. Mm. So you have to agree at some point. This is where we're starting. Uh, it's for the, by the way, it's a reason why at The Motley Fool we actually track the All Lords as our market, which is the top 500 ish companies, rather than the ASX 200 which is the top 200, because we actually think it's a more representative sample of the rest of the market. Now, it's not that different. But more is better than less if you're trying to capture the overall moves of the market. So we say, well, if you can use 200 or 500, use 500 because it's more representative. And I think that's probably true. Um, it, so, you know, why, why do we follow that? Because there is no better index out there, at least as far as most people are concerned. But the, the establishment, in air quotes, uh, whether that be investors, fund managers, the media, have decided it's the best available tracking mechanism for to, as a representative sample of the US stock market. So that's why it's had, it has prominence. ASX 200, exactly the same. Notwithstanding Ram's point about liquidity, notwithstanding that a business like Shopify, I own shares in Shopify for the record. I like it as well. Do I think it needs to be in the 500? Well, maybe, maybe not. It, it needs to be representative and, and meet those rules. Do I care that it's not in there? Not really. I mean, it doesn't make any material difference to anyone. As long as you're tracking, and because there's a market-weighted, they kind of just broadly track. Now, there's, in the US, there's the Wilshire 5000, which apparently tracks almost every company on the on the market. But if you had to track it with an ETF, you couldn't do it because the 5000th biggest company is probably, you know, $150 million. And you've got God knows how many trillion dollars in the US chasing e- index ETFs, right? Just it just it's not possible to actually mirror that reasonably. So I think a, a 500 company index in, in the US um, yeah, the All Lords here which is also 500 companies or the 200 or the 300 um, I think are really representative samples of the market and so if your job is I want to track the market as closely as possible as cost effectively as possible I reckon those are perfectly fine indexes to indices to measure when you're reporting on the market like they do in the news and if I'm looking for an ETF I'm happy to track those indices as the best most available cheapest representative sample of of the relevant stock markets.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if you've got a different view, which again is entirely justifiable, mm, to mm, each mm. to their own, then you yep. just that just helps in your selection
1: criteria for the ETF you choose. Nice. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I own shares in the Nasdaq ETF, for example, tracking just the Nasdaq exchange. Which there's nothing magic about that, by the way, because it just happens to be a different exchange. Two separate exchanges. Mm. Um, those companies could be listed on the on the SM, on the New York Stock Exchange or, or vice versa, and it would change the entire index. I, I buy that one because it's largely tech dominated. I think Tech's got a good long-term future. So, Ram's point. I've chosen. I also have. I don't think I have a, um, a US S and P five hundred tracking. I've got a Vanguard Global one and other bits and pieces. Mm. Um, but yeah, same same reason. Pick mm. pick the pick the instrument that best represents the market or index you want to track. But by definition, as Ram said, if you don't like the index, choose another one and yep. go with that. There's plenty out there. James says hi, Scott and Ram. Thanks a million for the podcast. Does that mean he's giving us a million? That's that's how I read it. James, the checks in the mail, right? Send you my I'm bank sure. details. Yeah. Well. My crypto wallet. Oh, no. <laughs> God help us all. You might as well burn your money now, James. Uh, I'm a member of Share Advisor and subscribed to Strawman, waiting for full membership opportunity. He says, "I said well, it's, out, it's about-
0: out. now. Is, we're closing oh, it in the week. Out. You better be quick." Is yeah, that right? Okay, we're not. Here you we're go. not we're, 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 um, it's been open. It's uh. Where are we going Sunday? In fact, so you've got till the end of the day.
1: <laughs> oh, look out. And then it's closed. Yeah. Hard closed. I started learning about the share market, says James, probably from Strawman as well as the Motley Fool. Late 2018 and Feb 2020, decided to jump in. Oh, dear. and pulled all my cash together, including super. And we're still sitting in cash when it crashed. I am very aware this is sheer luck. It is, James. Absolutely. But, mate, take the luck you get. you dealt. Well done. I want to ask a couple of questions. One, if we are trying to beat the market, what kind of long term target range do you strive for in annual compound returns? I know any win is good, but I like something to reach for. And then, two, he says, while we seek to hold forever, if you buy a great company with a small growth rate, would you sell it when it's well overpriced and then keep it on the watch list for any future underpriced opportunities? Mm. As I understand, velocity can impact the overall return. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your insights into these. Full on from James. All right, mate, let's go one for one. If we're trying to beat the market, what kind of long-term target range do you, Andrew Page, strive for in compound annual returns?
0: Yeah, again, I'm going to be informed by history. And again, there's different measures, different timeframes, mm-hmm. but I think 10% per annum total return dividends included is a pretty good target to aim for. That, that, mm-hmm. That's about what, you know, maybe it's 9.3, maybe it's 11.1. It's, it's in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel as though I'm going to do a good job if I can get more than 10% per annum. If I can mm-hmm. get 12, if I look on my deathbed. bed, and I look back and go, I got twelve percent per annum. Uh, I'd be very happy with that mm-hmm. because that just compound the way compounding works. That's huge. And even though it's only two percent per annum of what the market might you might reasonably expect to do, it actually adds adds up. So I'd be very happy with that. Would it be better if it was thirty percent per annum? Yeah, obviously. Um, but but, I'm, I'm, but my point is, is I'm happy. I think with the 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 only failure. Hmm. Um, and again, it's not look if I again if I get on my deathbed, if I look back and go, I got nine percent per <laughs> annum and the index was 10, I'm like, well, I could have saved myself a lot of grief and just mm-hmm. bought an ETF and I would have done better. But I'm still, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm still, it's still been a yeah. very uh, a positive experience overall. So you can not overthink yeah. it, yeah. but yeah, yeah, that, 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 for, I'll, I'll, take the second part of the question after you answer. But for me, 10, 10% is pretty good. I'd like cool. to think I can get 12, 13, 15. I don't know, as much as I can, but <laughs> around, around 12, I'd be happy
1: with. Cool. I'm going to take a very different view, which is actually my, my my strong view currently, the way I try and manage my own portfolio and think about my own investing. I don't have a target. Mm. I don't have a target for, for hopefully good reasons. The reason is that if you... So trying to strive for something that becomes unreachable in the short and medium term in particular, it can influence you to do silly things. So if I've said before, and I'll use Amazon again, I know we talk about it a lot, but I've done the numbers on this one. Over a four-year period, there was something like three years of that, not, not, not completely, um, what's the word, contiguous. Uh, there were two separate periods, I think, in that four-year period where, the, where Amazon went absolutely nowhere. And one of those was at least a year long. Now, if I was going for Tempt a year and Amazon gave me nothing over a year, I might start to think oh, terrible investment. I'm getting the other things are growing better. I better go. I might go and I'll go and chase things that's growing instead, or I'll I'll find look somewhere else for, for more growth. And of course, in those periods, it did go up in that in that four year period. It went up s- astonishingly. So I'm not saying you would do this, James, and most people won't do this. Um, but just just kind of keep that in mind because if you think about the the human human tendency to chase stuff uh, can be motivating. It also can be misleading, right? The Hail Mary pass they throw in the 69th minute of the NRL grand final maybe it doesn't need to be thrown because you've got 11 minutes left. So just because you're behind, just because you're ahead, just because whatever, I tend to be someone who focuses on the process itself and trust that the outcome will come. So that's the first thing. Second thing is it's very rare you can get absolute returns when the market's in the toilet. So during the GFC, the market slid for about 18 straight months and that was just brutal and trying to get any positive return, let alone some sort of um, arbitrary 10 or 12 or 15%, is really hard to do. Now, these are all overcomable, which is not a word, but I've just come up with it. Uh, if you've got the right temperament and you choose the right time frame, So I'm not saying they're not doable. For me, it's just, it's just not very helpful for me to look about, you know, look over short periods of time and work on annual return I'm looking for. Because I then start to fall into the trap of trying to get it or wondering where it's coming from or have I got the right companies or is this up yet? Or is that down yet? Or has it gone up too far? That's I, an excellent um, point. I generally, over the long term, say, I think the market, to your point, Ram, and I think it's when Ram and I are almost exactly the same, but just from really different perspectives. I hope to do about twelve percent a year. I hope the market will do about ten percent a year. But more important than all that stuff is, I hope I can do slightly better than the market and compound that outperformance for long periods of time. If I'm right, then it it will give me better than the market, and we know that compounding ten percent is wonderful. Compounding twelve percent is extraordinary. And so if I can do that in the, at the end of when I look back and go, that was pretty good, I've done well, then great. But all I'm looking for is businesses that I think are the best businesses I can find. And then if I can, if the market does 10 and I can choose an above average representative sample, in other words, if I can fill my portfolio with more winners than losers, despite the market which has average winners and losers, not necessarily, don't don't attack me, Matt's pedants. But if I can do slightly better than the market because I, I pick slightly better, then I'll get a slightly better return. If that happens then I think the market will do about 10. I think I'll do a little bit better. I'll end up exactly where Ram said, which is 12%, maybe a bit more if I'm lucky, but I'm trying to be pretty reasonable and you know, um, not, not shoot for the scars because if I get 12, I'll be stoked with that. If I don't get 15, well, so be it. But I don't start with trying to get a return, mate. I don't know that it's not potentially... Going to be counterproductive. Well,
0: well, I agree with you. I agree with you on the sense that yeah, any, any, over any sort of short to medium term mm. period, it's a useless target because we've said before. Yeah. Although that average is around ten percent for the market, yeah. the actual number of years throughout all of recorded history where it's actually <laughs> delivered ten percent, you can count on one hand. Mm. It's more up thirty percent one year, down twenty. Yeah, exactly.
1: Than, exactly. You know? yeah, so yeah. yeah,
0: you 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 can't beat yourself up as oh, I had this target. I, I don't think he's saying that, but yeah. but it is it is a point um, well made. Uh, The other thing I think you've got to keep yourself grounded. I've run into a few investors, and you ask this question, they say, "I'm targeting thirty percent per annum." Well, (laughs) I don't fault you there, but the world's greatest investor over a fifty-year period has done twenty percent. Right. So exactly right. Exactly. It takes a huge amount of hubris yeah. and yeah. ego to say, <laughs> and I'm not saying you can't. Some people have done better, and and yeah. when you're managing yeah. as much money as Buffett is, then yep. you know that it's a different it's a different kettle of fish. But I think yep. I think we need to be grounded in our expectations. So somewhere mm. between 20, ten and twenty is about. As good as you can hope for longer term, mm-hmm. because um, look again, there'll be people on on the fat end of the tail where they're just <laughs> yes, know, the outliers, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And people, are like, oh, I know a guy who. I'm sure, I'm sure you do, and they exist. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you want something that's reasonable and realistic, you you, yep. you, you it takes a you have to be a pretty cocky kind of person to think that you can you can
1: do better than twenty percent per annum over yep. the long term. Uh, it's madness. And the other thing is too, you, the reason I focus on the process, not the outcome, is. If, the, if, you, if you know the right process, follow it and the results will come. Mm. If you're focused on the results and you're tempted to therefore subvert the process because you have a different result expectation, yeah. either it's unreasonable or you're going to get it anyway. Mm. But focusing on the result at the expense of the process it can only be, at worst, sorry, best, it makes no difference. Yeah. At worst, it's going to make a negative difference, right? Because if you're following the process to pick the best companies you can at the right price and get the best results, the results will take care of themselves, right? It's, it's the old football thing: focus on the skills, focus on the practice. Then, when it comes to game time, just do what you practiced. There's a lot of there's
0: know? a lot of good research in this area. So a lot of the best mm. performing fund managers have these long and brutal periods of underperformance. That's True, actually, yeah. You know, they they do, but they tend to outperform mm. because mm. they are playing the long mm. game. Mm. And so yeah, I think again, I'll get I'll, I'll get the attribution wrong, but I believe it was Peter. Lynch, it said, all Jake his gains Morgan. came in the fifth year of owning a stock. Yes, yeah, yeah. In That's other right. words, you sort of buy it; it does nothing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it mm-hmm. goes down; it underperforms, and then finally, the market recognizes the the value yep. that you yep. saw all along. So it's, it's, it's these returns are really non linear. I've had really extended periods. I'm going through one at the moment. The last twelve months, I've underperformed the market. Mm-hmm. Sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but longer term, it's it's really great, and I've, I I hope that it that it, that it will prove to that will prove to remain true over the long term. Mm. But you've, you've got you've to stand back and make sure you're seeing the forest for the trees because even when you're doing absolutely everything right, you are going to underperform. And maybe – I'm not talking about over a day or a week. That's guaranteed. You know what I mean? you, you'll do it over multi-year periods. It'll happen. I guarantee it. But as you would say, you know, value will out in the end. And mm. if your process mm. is good, that, that will be what delivers the returns. Just, just, expect them, just expect it to all come at once, really, and you'll feel like a genius and you'll feel like an idiot at other times. But yeah, it's yeah, totally. very non-linear, very totally. non
1: So aim, aim to be at the market by a bit, but aim to get your process right, trusting that if you manage to do a better job of picking stocks than the market on average, the returns will come. Um, let's go to point number two, which was, he says, while we seek to hold forever, if you buy a great company with a small growth rate, would you sell it when it is well overpriced Keep it on the watch list for any future underpriced opportunities. right I, lo- I love this
0: question. Um, mm. apologies, too. There's a few planes going over my house at the moment. <laughs> I'm not sure if the
1: mic's picking it up. I'm not hearing any, mate. So hopefully, it's not picking up in the audio. So don't okay. worry too much. Okay, this is the downside of uh, COVID waning, by the way. It was uh, <laughs> planes back in the air, no, yeah, more, more planes <laughs> in the air, more,
0: more background noise. Um, um, I love this question, I love it because if you really have to know what you, to, to repeat myself again what you're buying and why you're buying it mm-hmm. now if you're buying a, a growth oriented company that you believe has some really strong structural tailwinds and just be mm-hmm. a much 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 bigger business in the future mm-hmm. um, I don't think you want to be too clever by sort of locking in short-term profits and doing all that kind of stuff you'll you'll mm-hmm. you'll never get the the much coveted 10 or 100 bag or whenever you do that just it just won't happen mm-hmm. if you're buying a pretty average company when I I got to be careful how i use this some some you might have a fantastic company that only grows 3% a year but maybe you yeah. know it's a private yeah. business it's very attractive for you and really high margins and really good return on your, your 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 time um and your dollar investment um but these are the kinds of businesses that you can't expect to do well on at a very very high multiple so if you buy mm-hmm. something of yeah. Company X, Y, Z, yeah, pretty decent company, probably go more or less in line with the economy over the long term. And it, it, it triples in the course of a year for reason X. Every, you know The market's just in a euphoric mood or whatever. I actually would be very tempted to sell that, even though I'm a long-term investor because as much as I – the reasons presumably for buying that business in the first place was although it's not the most cracking business around, it's just so dirt cheap. Once that cheapness is gone, the thesis has played out and it no longer holds true. And, and the rationale for holding no longer holds true. So mm. in those instances, I actually I actually would be very tempted to 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 lock the money in. If I was mm. buying, a, a, I don't know, what's growing really fast, like a zero or something like that, and I thought, oh, it's probably about 20 30% overvalued. I've learned this lesson the hard way, by the way. I'd be <laughs> much less likely to kind of get L out because the growth potential is so substantial that if it plays out anywhere near how you hope it would, that that short-term relative overvaluation is not going to make the difference. and You'll probably shoot yourself in the foot longer term. So it's mm-hmm. all about knowing what you're buying and why you're buying it. If the rationale is one of a valuation, just a sheer undervaluation basis, and that corrects, well, your investment thesis has played out. Congratulations to you. But you either need to come up with a new thesis that rationalizes this same yeah. investment at a higher price, which you might yep. be able to do, but if you can't, you, you mentioned before about buying Fortescue and you said on mm-hmm. the podcast and you said to me separately, look, this isn't my bag. You know, this is not the kind of investment that I usually buy. It's mm-hmm. just so dirt cheap. So, you know, if it, if it doubled this year, I, I, su- I suspect you'd probably sell, even though you're, you are the, the archetypal long-term investor. Because <laughs> the, yep. You know, uh, yep. m- m- correct me if I'm wrong, but I wouldn't blame you for that because mm-hmm. th- that was your reason for buying. It played mm-hmm. out. Job done. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm going around in circles at
1: this point. No, No, it's, it's perfect. I think um, your point, I, I, I'll try and add some value because you've, you've answered beautifully and we don't need to add more time to the podcast. So we'll, we'll keep it brief. Um, I, I hate selling, generally speaking. Uh, I have lost more money, I've said before, in selling too early than not selling at all. Because if you buy good quality companies that have good futures, then generally speaking, they deserve a lot of rope. If you've done the work properly in your buying, Selling too quickly is almost, well, for me at least, has always been a mistake. And relative to holding on too long, the value opportunity has is, is always been. If I if i sold nothing, I'd have more money than if I'd sold the losers earlier. Mm. Bottom line that that's and and that's not everybody. But here's the thing: if you've done the work, it kind of goes to your last question, James. If you've done the work to identify great companies, you have great companies then let them do their thing, right? Like if there's some short-term problems. I sold Domino's because same store sales five, seven years ago started to decline for a small period of time, right? That was my stupid idea. Now, it might have been the case that the sales because huge decline never came back again and the shares underperformed the market for the next 10 years, maybe. Turns out they didn't, they were up now tenfold. And so that, that difference is so dramatically different. If you find a good business, particularly with good leadership, uh, good market opportunity, all the stuff that we look for when looking for businesses, high, high quality businesses, and particularly ones with growth. Now you say correctly, James, you ask correctly, a company with small growth. And yes, I actually agree. This is exactly the time. Now, I don't own, I own one actually, Telstra is the one that i owned for years. I've never sold it for long and complicated reasons, basically our, our trading policy at the Motley Fool. It's been a recommendation of at least one service I've run through that entire time. It's now a recommendation of an income service, and I wouldn't buy Telstra today for market-beating returns. I could ask for dispensation to sell Telstra, but I, I'm happy enough to sort of just stick with our corporate policy and to help hold those shares. But it's going to grow moderately for a long time. If I own a pipeline company or a toll road, I think the range of outcomes is really, really narrow, right? Mm. Toll road. toll road isn't a software as a service business. You can't double your addressable market overnight by going to a new country. I mean, you can't be able to build a new toll road, right? Per asset, it is what it is. Mm. And maybe you convince a few more people to use it. Maybe you put the price up a little bit. But the range of outcomes there, the, the sheer maths of that is really, really narrow. And so, yes, at some point, if it's just, I won't say it's impossible. Nothing's impossible. But if it's really, really, really unlikely, uh, Sydney Airport's an even better one than than, uh, than Transurban. Sydney Airport is literally just one airports. Now, gone off the market. But if I owned that, and I had a, a certain number of plane movements and a certain number of passengers and a certain rent and a certain parking price, which is now measured in like eighty-four figures. Um, mm. I would, you know, you kind of know what the what the maximum potential return could be. Mm. Now it doesn't mean the market can't pay more for it, by the way. So you know, just if you sell it at seven dollars, doesn't mean it's just going to go to nine because the market's sillier than you are. Mm. But at some point, I'm like, you know what? This I, I can't justify this this price. Maybe it stays there because the market pays a fortune PE wise, and maybe that's fine but I know the upside is not massive. Adelaide Brighton's another one. makes cement uh, in really small geographic locations because you can't truck that stuff too far. It's uneconomic to do so. It can only grow at a certain rate, right, per facility. And again, if I'm being offered a stupidly high price, I'm mad not to because it just can't ever justify in any reasonable sense. I mean, I guess it could turn itself into a dot-com company or a crypto company or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it can't really justify that sort of result. So you kind of go, yeah, there's no, there's, there is no reasonable likelihood of it growing into this valuation. So at that point, you've got to sell it. Mm. if you've got a business that's really well run got a big market could do more things would I sell in a hurry no I wouldn't you know could again Domino's is a great example I've used it before and we've had listeners say don't use the Domino's example before um, Amazon is a great example right there is no just for Amazon's current PE but, but, but if you look at the future and go could it be this thing yeah how big is the range of possibilities massive is it run by a visionary leader with massive track record yes is it super dominant yes are the economics wonderful yes do I want to sell this anytime soon absolutely not the shares could halve They could double. They could do both. (laughs) But I'm not selling in a hurry because I just, I want to let it play out. Same with Berkshire Hathaway, right? The the results for a couple of years were underwhelming. They've lost to the market. Last 12 months, spectacular. Really good compared to some of the other businesses and the market. Um, I let Warren Buffett, he's Warren Buffett. Man, like what am I selling selling (laughs) Berkshire shares for? Am I stupid? Mm. I'm not going to do that. Um, So that's kind of the way I think about it. I have said before, I will generally evaluate. You use the right the right point, well overpriced, you say, James. I've used significantly overvalued to, is my term. A little overvalued, don't care. Original overvalued, don't care. Significantly overvalued, okay, maybe you've got my attention. Maybe I'm going to sell because I'm going to let the company do its thing. I'm going to let um, management, the brands, the business, the trade, the relationships, the trademarks, the whatever do their thing. Uh, and I'm going to let it run because if I've done the work up front, I think it's a quality business. That I'm going to see how it how it nets out from here.
0: Yep, yep. I, you mentioned Wally's before. You know, I I, I sometimes get asked because I'm, I'm really positive on the business. I think it's a great business. Mm, it's mm. so, like, well, why don't you own it? It's like, well, it was forty two bucks not long ago, isn't yeah,
1: it? Exactly. It's a
0: great business, but it ain't growing at fifteen percent compound mm. for the next five years, right? So here's this asset that's wonderful. We'll be around for ages probably manage if they do a good job to grow their mm. their profit at sort of anywhere between 5 and 7% if they're doing a great job. Yeah. Does that yeah. deserve a P of 37 in a, in a <laughs> going forward into an environment yeah. where we're likely to face higher interest rates going forward and a yield of yeah. sub 2% I mean it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. So you've got to, you've got to think about o- o- all of those kinds of things. So if you were if if you were looking at market at that point in time as I was, it's just sort of like, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's uh, it's just not going to make sense. At twenty bucks, oh, as great. you said before, different story, very different story. So you've you've, yeah. you've got to know what you're buying, why you're buying it, what the opportunities are.
1: I'll give you give you another example, actually, really quickly before we finish off. As one I didn't own and should have a zero. You mentioned zero a bit before, mate. We've talked about it before. It um, got down to fifteen or twelve dollars. As I said to the guys in the team, oh, I'll buy it if it gets to ten. That that'd be too cheap to ignore. And you know, it's a quality business it's growing like gangbusters. And I'm, I'm nickel and diming on the right price now, hundred and something dollars. Again, another 10 bagger I've let go because I got silly about a couple of bucks. It's like, you know what? Maybe it was going to be a bad investment. Maybe it fell from 12 to six. Maybe, lost half of money. The flip side, I missed I missed a 10 bagger, a tenfold gain. Look at the, the ROI the, you that, know, the risks and the, the opportunities, the, the costs and the, the rewards. Um, hindsight? Now, by the way, there'll be companies right now who I'm saying exactly the same thing on. As i you know, I, when I say these things, I'm partly doing a mental checklist or, and a mental stock take of, what am I missing right now that's growing really nicely? I'm like, ah, too hard. Don't want it, you know, don't, don't want it just in case. Maybe they go badly. Maybe you go, ah, oh, that sucks. Or maybe they're businesses that are well worth investing in. So those ones, yep. But you say, look, back to your point. Small growth rate, yes, there's absolutely time to sell it because you just can't do much more than that. Well, this can't. Go to the sky, unless again it goes into, you know, oil or, or, or dot coms or something. Uh, so there's, a, there's just a price you don't want to pay too much for. But zero with a with a kind of, you know, global potential market, now it didn't do as well as it wanted to, but geez, from 10, 15 lock had gone wrong and it's, you know, now 100 and something. So um, bear, bear that one in mind. It,
0: it does, draw, I, I see it a lot where people will make A case for a a very strong growth company, and they'll say, I'll buy it if it drops 10%. It's like, dude, (laughs) if you're half right,
1: (laughs) it makes no difference. Like, you're either wrong,
0: in which case, again, even if you buy it 10% cheaper, you're still going to do your dough. Uh, or if you're right then you you no one looks back at to just stick with your example at zero <laughs> who bought it at 15 yeah. and watched it go to 10 yeah and is kicking themselves or bought it correct, at 30 correct. and watched it go yeah. to 15 and yeah they they don't care and mm-hmm. and that's the point is if if you've got if you're buying something with those growth potentials don't overthink it i mean again always have a view to value but don't don't overthink it buying a pipeline business okay much narrower set of opportunities. You yeah, really have yeah, to think yeah. about valuation there. And you and you you will absolutely I would anyway at least sell down some when, when prices got a little bit silly because it's just it's never going to grow into that valuation. So we've we flogged that horse to death, I think.
1: We have absolutely and we are out of time, mate. So yes, great question, James. Love it. Uh, hopefully we've added some value. Thank you for listening to this particular podcast. As I said on Friday, send us your questions, send us your comments, send us your feedback. Info at fool.com.au is the email address you can get to us via. Fantastic member services, Fools. Make sure I get that information and I'll ask around the good questions. Um, If you want to follow us on social media, please do that as well. Jump onto... Facebook, let's go in reverse, The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. If you're on the Twitter machine, look up Sage underscore Simeon for some of Ram's salty takes, largely directed at AGL directors or uh, at Strawman Invest is the the Twitter handle of the business, Strawman. You can get me on Twitter and Insta at TMFScottP or at The Motley Fool AU for our corporate accounts. Until next Friday, thank you for being with us. Fool on. See ya.